0: Perhaps the most controversial topic of discussion in our day revolves around truth. Opinions often blur the lines of an objective truth. Streaming platforms, social media, and other mediums allow individuals to project their truths upon the masses like never before.
1: In the midst of woke, cancel culture, religious freedoms, political liberties, social injustice, we attempt to search for and reveal the truth. This is Truth Revival.
0: Welcome back. My name is Roman Hamilton. This is Truth Revival, episode 10. Today, our topic will be ministry versus missions. With me today is... Paul Chapman. Mr. Paul Chapman, Nationwide. No. Mr. Nationwide, Paul Chapman. I feel like
1: a... a Insurance guy, every time you call me Mr. Na- Nationwide is on your side. Oh. Mister. I'm glad you're on my side, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> and then we also
0: have Mr. Uh, Mike Nelson. Mike Nelson. Mike is going to be our missions specialist today. Would you agree, Mike? Well,
2: uh, I've done it for a while, so if that makes me a specialist, <laughs> then I guess I'll take that
0: title. I think that you uh, should be considered a specialist. You're pretty good at it. Let's see here. Mike, if you will, just briefly give us a rundown, tell us a little bit about who you are, snapshot of okay. Mike Nelson, how you came to Teleco Plains, of all places, how you got into the ministry, just give us your story real quick. Okay. Well, I got saved when I was 33 years old, while I was uh, attending grad
2: school. Um, I was active duty in the Army, and they had sent me to the University of Memphis to get a, a master's degree, and while I was there, I came I came to accept Christ while I was And started attending Kirby Woods Baptist Church there in Memphis, Tennessee. That's where I I got saved at. After I uh, finished grad school, uh, of course, uh, finished out my Army career uh, and retired in 2003 uh, at Fort Hood, Texas. And immediately moved to Fort Worth, where I attended Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary for four years. And uh, about the third or second year in, Started pastoring a little independent Baptist church in Irving, Texas. Um, And then once I graduated, was called uh, to a full-time pastorate in Richardson, Texas, which is just a suburb north of Dallas, Um, and served there for um, almost six years. And while I was there, um, serving as the pastor of that church, I got invited to go on a mission trip, international mission trip. Uh, I was serving on the local missions committee of the Baptist Association there in, in, our, uh, in our area, and we were at our, one of our quarterly meetings, and at, at, they were hosting the First Baptist Euless, which was the biggest church in our association, uh, was hosting that meeting. And their mission pastor got up and, and invited any pastor that was there that day to go on a, on a free mission trip, on their next mission trip. Uh, they were going to provide a full scholarship. Um so I was the only pastor that took them up on the offer. And there were about 35 pastors there and um so I went back to my church and talked to uh my personal committee and the leaders of my church and told them it wouldn't cost the church anything for me to go except for me to be away from the pulpit for a couple of weeks. And uh so I got on a plane in September 2010 uh, headed to a place called Kigoma, Tanzania. I'd never been to Africa, I'd never been to Tanzania. I didn't know what in the world I was getting into. <laughs> Uh, but, Roman, all I knew was that God had opened the door, uh, took away all my excuses for not going. I mean, I'd been involved in local missions, uh, you know, very active in local missions, le- leading local missions in my church, but I'd never been on an international mission trip before. Uh, and, you know, you use all the excuses. I mean, I was a husband, I was a father, I was a pastor. And, and, you know, you don't go into ministry for money. You go into ministry, you're in it for the wrong reason to start with. Joel Osteen would disagree.
1: I understand, but he's in it for the wrong reason. Kenneth
0: but. Copeland would disagree. <laughs> I have had, had
1: a guy tell me one time, he said, hey, he said, because I, I traveled and sang and played in the Christian band and went all over the country. And he's like, listen, and, and we were broke constantly, Mike. And he was like, if you want to make money, start a church. And I'm like, really? And, I, and from the, I've never forgotten that. I'm like, whoa, but you're right. You're right, for the wrong yeah, reason.
0: I think if you're getting into ministry for the money, that's yeah. the wrong thing.
2: Well, of course, I I, I believe the Bible says that, uh, that you know, the oxen's worthy of his hire and a minister should be supported by his church. But anyway, uh, so money was always tight, but now that was taken away too because they offered me a full scholarship. So I said yes and got on a plane in September 2010, headed to a place called Kigoma, Tanzania. Wow. And uh, it was... An adventure of a lifetime, brother. It opened my eyes. while I was there, God spoke to me um, in a powerful way, and brought me under conviction, and has never let go of that conviction. So anyway, uh, it kind of gave me an idea of how I got where I am. I, during that mission trip, I won't, I won't mention who I was there with. It doesn't matter. But the mission organization I was with, I was, uh, we were doing. They sent me, because I was a pastor, they said, well, we'll send him to the Muslim village. So they sent me to a place <laughs> called Ujiji, which was 99.9% Muslim. I mean, this place was just, uh, actually, it was, a, it was a stopover. Back during the slave trade days, the Arabs were very active in the slave trade in the 1800s, and they would capture the, uh, the people in the Congo, bring them across Lake Tandanika, and then they would stop at this village in Ujiji and rest well, everywhere they stopped along the route to the Indian Ocean, where they had put them on ships to send them out, those became Arab communities, and those Arab communities obviously practiced Islam. So it was Islamic, and uh, and this was one of those places, and it was still heavily Islamic. Well, they send me down there uh, to to spend you know five days ministering in this Islamic village, and you know this is my first international mission trip, and I'm getting thrown right into the fire, right. But it was amazing because where they sent me, the church where they were planting a church, and it was a house church that had just started. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the guy that opened his home to allow us to be there was the uh, chief witch doctor of the village, and he was also a Muslim. Well, I say he was the chief witch doctor of the village. Mm-hmm. About um, four months before we came, he had um, gotten sick. So he went to his other witch doctors in the village, and they worked their you know, potions and magic, and nothing happened. He went to the imam at the mosque, and they prayed for him, but nothing happened. So then he went down to Kigoma town and walked into an evangelical church. And the elders of that church anointed him, laid hands on him, and prayed for him, and, they, and God healed him right there on the spot. Oh, man. So he said, this is the God I want to serve. You must bring this God to my village. So they decided to plant a church in this man's village, and he opened his home up um, and allowed us to use his house as a, as a house church there. So that's where I was for five days. And uh, man, I was. we converted uh, three other witch doctors while I was there, came to Christ, and we had hundreds of people get saved. But as I was walking from hut to hut, tree to tree, uh, to my next evangelism opportunity, I would take the time to ask the pastors that were planting the church there simple theological questions. Well, what do you believe about this? What does the Bible say about this? And the sad thing, Roman, is I didn't get the answers that I needed to get. I didn't get the answers that the Bible um, uh, gives us. So in the midst of seeing hundreds of people get saved, and, and we had a burning party every afternoon, just like you read in the, book of, uh, in the book of Acts that happened in Ephesus where the people brought all their potions and burnt all that stuff. We had a burning party every afternoon where mm. either a witch doctor would come and burn his witch doctor tools mm. as a testimony to his faith in Christ, or a believer or a person who had gotten saved, who had been to a witch doctor, brought the potions and, and, and the, the cure that they had been given and threw it on the fire as a testimony that they were going to trust tr- trust Christ alone for, for their needs. So we had a burning party every afternoon. It was amazing. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm serious, dude. I mean, I, I come from a Southern Baptist background. You know, in Southern Baptist churches, if the Holy Spirit shows up, they don't know what to do. They get scared. You know what I mean?
0: You know, Mike, I was part of a couple youth revivals where— Some young men, I guess, were under conviction because of the lifestyle that they were living. They were born-again Christians, saved by grace, but the lifestyle that they was living just wasn't matching up with the Word of God. And so after these youth revivals, they encouraged everybody to have what they called a CD burning. You know, they burnt their Notorious (laughs) B.I.G. album or their Van Halen album (laughs) and— Thousands of dollars worth of CDs were burnt that night. So I have got to experience a witch doctor style bonfire, but uh I kind of know what you're talking about. We burnt some things.
1: That's awesome. But,
0: but anyway, in the midst of this great movement
2: of God, God brought me under this conviction. He said, Mike, I didn't send you ten thousand miles to make converts. I sent you here to make disciples. And if you can't stay here and disciple these new believers, then you better make sure these pastors you're turning them over to are trained and equipped and ready. Literate. Literate. In the gospel. And equipped uh, to disciple these new believers. So that became a passion that he gave me that he wouldn't let go of. And so I began to try to work with the organization that I had gone with to affect change within that organization to get them to put more emphasis on, on preparing the pastor's up front before they planted the churches Um, and then to do follow-up for me to go with this organization i had to sign a doctrinal statement right i had to agree to their doctrinal statement but they didn't make the pastors that they worked with sign any doctrinal statement okay so there wasn't doctrinal unity across the board they didn't track and follow the churches that they planted there was no accountability there was no follow-up um so I tried to work within that organization to affect change, but they weren't interested. They just wanted to focus on the evangelism part. And now they were were very good at that. Mm -hmm. Their method for evangelism was very effective. But as you know, discipleship evangelism, just the first part of the discipleship process. And if you leave it there, you're not doing what God's called us to do. So uh, I realized that they weren't going to affect change and, Uh, But God would not let go of this burden, and he gave me to do this work. So in 2013, I decided to step down from a full-time pastorate and start Epic Ministries. So so what we did in Epic was I took the the good parts of, of the evangelism portion of what that other ministry was doing, but then I wrapped around that a whole bunch of training and preparation of pastors and built in doctrinal unity where everyone that works in the ministry has to sign up a doctrinal statement where we all can agree on a basic core doctrinal set Mm -hmm. of beliefs so that we're all in unity with each other. And then we have uh, two years of accountability and and follow-up where we track and monitor these churches for two years. So we basically try to follow the model that's laid out for us in the book of Acts. That's why I called the ministry Epic Ministries, It stands for equipping pastors, planting indigenous churches, because that's exactly what we do. We equip the pastors, Mm. and then we help them
0: plant indigenous churches. I just thought it was because, like, it's going to be an epic adventure.
2: Well, it is an epic adventure. It is an epic task, uh, but our epic has two P's in it. I I noticed (laughs) that.
0: Yeah. So I knew it stood for something. So yeah. Thank you for sharing that. You know, Mike, this whole podcast we're trying to go with this theme of ministry versus missions. You and I have talked on multiple occasions. We met of all places in the school system working together, and we just have a kindred spirit for sharing the gospel of Christ and just seeing people come to faith in Christ and then discipling them. And we've talked about the work of the church, the functions that are within the church. And so Paul In your opinion, what is a church supposed to do? There's all kinds of churches around here, and I've recently been on vacation. (laughs) We've noticed. Do you know, Paul, that I found a church last night that I didn't know was in our area? I was driving around down in the Rural Vale area, and I found a church that I had no idea was here.
1: Do you remember the name?
0: Yeah, but I'm not going to disclose it on the podcast. Just I
1: think I know which one you're talking about because it's kind of hidden.
0: But I heard this quote one time. It said, if we close the doors of our church, would anybody notice? There are over 28 churches in within a five-mile radius of this little town, Mike. We've talked about this. It's crazy that there are a lot. over 28 churches. But how many churches are largely silent so what is a
1: church what should a church what is its functions what should a church do well the church function should be handling the needs of the community first and foremost i mean you think about it if the if the church was doing the way it was in the book of acts in modern days now we wouldn't need welfare we wouldn't need food stamps we wouldn't need all these things because the church would be grouping their funds and their and their things together and putting out in the community and taking care of business. And that's what God established for us to do. That's, that's our goal. You know, um, We go, we see the need, we meet it. And that's, that's what the church needs to be. The church has totally fallen off to the wayside and not doing what God's called it to do, especially in, in the United States because you know everything's government, government, government. And really, everything that the government subsidizes and takes care of for, for the people of this country is what the church is supposed to be doing
2: and i would agree that's one of the functions of the church okay um i think what we have to do is just is open our bibles to to acts chapter two and and in scripture it lays out for us what
0: the five functions of the church are when we return mike nelson's going to share the five functions of the church stay tuned we'll be back right after these words from our sponsors
1: And now, the
0: continuation of ministry versus missions and the five functions of the church. Take it away, Mike.
2: And what you're describing is ministry. And, and that is one of the five functions where the church is supposed to be the, the hands and feet of Christ yeah. to the community. And we are to reach out to the community and try to meet the needs of the community to the best of our ability. Um, the government, yeah, if the government can help, that's wonderful, right? If the government will come come, come alongside and and help provide uh, for its citizenry. That is wonderful.
0: I was so glad when Joe Biden gave me all that money this past year.
2: <laughs> but if but if the government won't do that, then the church needs to step up to the plate and, and meet and meet those needs. But that's just one of the five functions. Um, you know, you, first and foremost, I, I, I don't say there's there's a priority order on them, but one of the functions of the church is worship. Okay, uh, the ultimate goal of the church is to worship Christ and uh, you, you know it's his bride um he's our groom and we're here to glorify him we're here to worship him we're here to exalt him okay because it's all about him it's not about us life is not about us it's about him and when we get that straight in our mind everything else gets put in the right place okay the things that i have are things god has given me to use to glorify him Mm-hmm, they're stupid. not yeah. they're not things that he's given to to make my life easier or to or or to make me seem important or 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 whatever. It, he, whatever I have, he's given to me to use to glorify him. It's all about him. It's all about glorifying him, and now the I church it, is all about glorifying Christ. So first and foremost, it's about worship. Um, you know, and another function of the church is uh, evangelism. You, you know we're to go out and share our faith with others, um, and and it's interesting. You argue why do we why do we do that? Um, and, and I tell people, what was the last thing Jesus told the church before he went back to heaven? Um, well, but but before I get off on that chasing that rabbit, this, let's just list the five functions first. Okay. You have okay, worship, okay, uh, evangelism, fellowship, ministry, and discipleship. Okay. When you, when you read the second chapter of Acts, you'll see those are the five things that the New Testament church were doing, and the church needs to have a balanced approach in all five of those things. A healthy New Testament church will be a church that's doing all five of those functions in a balanced, healthy way. You won't be putting emphasis over one function over another. Many churches, um, now I, I only speak for, I'm a Southern Baptist, right? I'm born and raised Southern Baptist, uh, you know, and I'll die a Southern Baptist, and uh, but the point is, a lot of churches do two or three of those functions very well. Most Baptist churches are very good at worship. We love mm-hmm. worship. Um, we're also very good at fellowship. We can find a reason to eat, okay? Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> especially something that's been baptized in Greece, okay? If we can we can fry it, we're going to eat it, right, Roman? Yes. I mean, we Baptists love to eat, so we, <laughs> we'll find a reason to fellowship, okay? Okay. And the other thing we usually do pretty good at, even though I don't think we, we we truly understand what the word means, is discipleship. We love Bible studies. I mean, we have Bible study after Bible study, okay? And you name it, we're going we're gonna to do a Bible study on it. Uh, even though I don't really believe that's the true definition of discipleship, it's far more than just Bible study, okay? But um, the things that a lot of Baptist churches don't do well is ministry
0: and evangelism. Now, when you say ministry, what exactly do you mean with ministry?
2: Well, the word, it comes from the Greek word that means to serve. So ministry means serving others, both inside the church and outside the church, okay? It's it's being the hands and feet of Christ, showing the love of Christ by meeting the needs of others through service, okay? Whether it might be, uh, you know, running a food closet in your church for people who who uh, can't afford to go buy groceries at the store or clothes closet or um, adopting an elementary school in your community to making sure that those teachers have the supplies that they need to be able to do their job or, or providing the students with the school supplies they need to be able to, to do their work because, you know, they come from low income families that can't afford those things. What, whatever it's help reaching out and meeting the needs like in Africa, for example, um, if a village doesn't have a well, you know, in America, we, that's, we, we can't even think about those kinds of things. We all have water to drink, right? I mean, it's no problem. But in Africa, if a village doesn't have a well where you can get clean water and the government won't come and build, won't dig that well, then who should dig that well? The church. The church should dig that well. The, the people of that church should get together and and put a hole in the ground and provide the people of that community with clean drinking water. That's that's ministry. It's meeting the needs of the people of the uh, the people of that community. It's showing the love of Christ through sacrificial service. Okay,
0: Mm, I like Um,
2: that. And and that's ministry. And but you can also minister to the people inside your church too, because the Bible tells you that you don't want to neglect your own. Right? I mean, um, charity begins at, at home. So you want to make sure that you're taking care of your own people. But you got to reach out in the community and help meet the needs. That's ministry. Now, if you're doing all five functions of the church, then you're going to end up producing all three types of fruit that that a Christian is supposed to produce. As you study Scripture, I believe the Scripture tells us that every Christian, every believer, is to produce three types of fruit. Um, The first type of fruit is just the, I call it the the fruit of of the Spirit, which is living a godly life, which in turn manifests the, the nine characteristics described in that passage in Galatians. Uh, you'll produce the fruit of the spirit if you're living according to God's word, uh, walking in His will. Well, that comes through good discipleship. That comes through good preaching, good mm-hmm. teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if you have good discipleship in your and good worship in your church, then your people are going to live godly lives. They're going to be convicted of sin because they're going be to be preached the whole counsel of the Word of God. So they're going to they're going to understand what is expected of them, and and they're going to be challenged to live up according to that, and. And through that, they're going to produce the fruit of the Spirit, um, those nine characteristics described in Galatians. Um, if you're doing evangelism in your church, then you're going to produce the fruit of the ambassador. All of us are called into the ministry of reconciliation, and we're all called to be ambassadors for Christ. That, that talks about soul winning. So every one of us are supposed to be soul winners. Evangelism is not a request from God. It's a command from God that he's given every believer in Christ it's not a spiritual gift. There is the spiritual gift of an evangelist who is someone who's specially anointed by God to teach others how to do evangelism. But all of us are required to do evangelism in Christ. So if you if you have ministry in your church, if you're doing ministry, then that's where people plug their spiritual gifts in, Okay, uh, whether it's through teaching in your discipleship programs or whether it's through um, uh, using their spiritual gifts in some ministry that you've established. But they can plug into something in your church that allows them to exercise that spiritual gift, so that they then produce the fruit of that gift. If you don't exercise that gift, you never produce the fruit of that gift.
0: Mike, how about this? What about the ministry of attendance? Well, that's part of worship. <laughs> I think some people say, "Well, I attend church." Right. There's so much more exactly. to being a follower of Christ, being a believer. I mean, and see, you got some people who are who are believers but not everybody's a Christian. Christians are those who embody yeah. Christ. They they were first called Christians at Antioch. Those people were acting like Jesus. And we have a lot of people who believe in Christ, but that's just the beginning. You spoke yeah. about it perfectly, Mike, in that the work of the church is multifaceted. And so I want to encourage everybody out there who is a believer, make sure that your church is involved in the ministry of, and is relevant in your community. We are the city set on a hill. Mm -hmm. We've been called to make an impact and a difference. And with 28 churches in a community, there shouldn't be any needs. So, Mike, here's where we differ a little bit. From my perspective, we have multiple ministries within our church. And Missions is one of those ministries. And I said in the pre-show, I feel like ministry is the work inside the church, all the functions inside the church, worship, evangelism, fellowship, discipleship, you know, and we can go on vacation Bible school, food uh, pantry, clothes closet, what, uh, whatever inside the church. But missions is the work outside the church. We went and built a handicap ramp. A young man. Not too long ago, I viewed that as a mission project. We've gone and handed out food in in the community. I viewed that as a mission project, and you have a slightly different opinion on on that. And I'll let you elaborate on what you view missions as. So,
2: yeah, you're. I don't want to split hairs, but it it comes down to. Really what you're talking about is the Great Commission, okay? How does the Great Commission fit into the church and what the church is supposed to do, okay? Yes, there's these five functions of the church, right? And evangelism is one of those five functions. But we also have a Great Commission. God's given us a command, a mission for the church. We talk about missions. You take the S off of it, it's mission, right?
0: And you know a thing or two about that being a military man, right? Yeah. Did you ever get to serve in any conflicts or wars, or were you stationed overseas? Anything? No, I was,
2: I was stationed in Germany when we went to the first uh, the first battle of Iraq, but my unit didn't have the latest equipment. So my unit didn't go. My unit didn't deploy. Um, so I, I stayed back and trained. I was in an infantry, uh, uh, well, it was an armor brigade of the 1st armor Division, but only one of our battalions had the latest equipment. So they were only taking units that had the most most uh, latest um, most modern equipment. So my unit stayed back, and we ended up training tank crew replacements that we never needed because the war only lasted hundred hours. I mean, the ground war only lasted hundred hours, so we never needed them. So I, you know, it
0: was over quick. Huh? <laughs> yeah, it was
2: over quick. So I, I, no, fortunately, I never had to shoot at anybody in in um, in anger or conflict or anything. So, and I praise God for that. I'm glad I don't have that baggage that I have to carry
0: around. But being in the military, um, you know what it's like to have a mission, right. to have a set of objectives, and you got to get this accomplished. Right. Well, the church—what is missions? We've already talked about ministry, and if you don't rem- remember or recall, or you're st- go back and listen again, Mike right. done an excellent job of detailing ministry within the church. So, Mike, tell us about missions. What right. is
2: missions? The, the mission of the church. Let's take the S off for a second. Okay. The mission of the church is to make disciples of all nations. That's the mission. The, the, The mission, and now the question is how do we accomplish that mission? It's one thing to be given a mission statement. It's another thing to figure out how to accomplish that mission statement, right? There's no question that the church's mission is to go make disciples of all nations. Jesus said it five times. At the end of each of the four Gospels and at the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus issued a commission, and and he said it differently. He said it a little bit differently in each time, but he but he said it five different times. Okay, so when Jesus repeats himself, he's not doing it just to hear himself talk.
0: Mm.
2: He's doing it to emphasize Point something of emphasis. Yeah, and and it's not a coincidence that that five is the biblical number for grace. And what does man need? Man needs the grace of God. Well, how does he get the grace of God through the Great Commission? Right, by us going and telling others about Jesus. You know, why did what was the last thing Jesus said before he went to heaven? Now, before he went to heaven, he could have said anything to his church. He could have left any set of instructions that he wanted to leave. But the thing he told his church was what we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, look, I'm going to send you power mm-hmm. in the form of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to be witnesses of mm-hmm. me. Yep. That's the word we get martyr from. Okay, It's the Greek word that we get the word martyr from. Okay. He says, I want you to be, if necessary, martyrs of me. He says, first in Jerusalem, that's your own local city. Then in uh, uh, in Judea, that would be like the state of Tennessee to us. Then Samaria, that's the surrounding countries, which would be like Canada, and Mexico, and North America. Okay. And then he said what? To the uttermost parts of the earth. And it's not a, a or, it's an and but. So we're to do it. In all these areas, we are to make disciples, be witnesses of Christ in our own city, in our own state, in our own country, and into the othermost parts of the world. Ooh. That's the mission that God has given the church, and there's no doubt about that, okay? Now, the question is, how do we accomplish that mission? We've been given a mission statement, so how do we now implement the, accomplishing that? hmm Well, to me, instead of trying to come up with some new method, I think we ought to open the Bible and study the Bible and say, well, how did the New Testament church do that?
0: So this is one of the things that you shared with me, and I have learned from it. What you're saying is that missions should be for the furtherance of the gospel. Missions is the implementation of the Great Commission. Hopefully we've been pretty clear on this. The Great Commission is really two parts. You must first be able to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ, understand that your sin has separated you from God, and that you need to repent and believe the gospel. Jesus Christ died on the cross as payment for your sin and was resurrected for your justification. Now he is our advocate with the Father uh, he is his blood was the payment for our sin when we accept that and around here we call it getting saved right or also born again well that's evangelism but that's the first step that's in making that's the first the, step in making disciples and once we'll, once uh, once we receive Christ then we've been called to become a disciple now we don't just become disciples on by ourselves the word of god says the holy spirit jesus said if i go away i'll send the comforter to you and the comforter will teach you all things. So we have the we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, and the Comforter teaches it. But there's also the work of the local church, Bible studies, small groups. You get plugged into a local church and become a disciple, grow in your walk with Christ. So that's the that's really the the two parts of the Great Commission. It's evangelism and discipleship. And so you're saying the work of missions. Is to ensure the work of the Great Commission by produce by through evangelism and discipleship. Now, I think we again can go to Scripture and look at the model of how
2: do we do that? How do we make disciples? Okay, and that's probably the critical question because Matthew Matthew twenty eight nineteen is clear that we there in the Great Commission right where Jesus says you know. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, mm-hmm. and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all what things I whatsoever I command you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. The command is make disciples. It's the only verb in that, in that two verses that's rendered in the imperative in the Greek. Now, there's three participles that tell you how to do it. There's three participles in those two verses that tell you how to implement the command of making disciples. That is going, baptizing, and teaching. Okay, so there's three three participles that explain how to implement making disciples. In I those never two was verses. good
0: with literature in English, Mike. I was always always struggled. With, I was better in math. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but okay, but but let's go back to and we look at the process. If we if we look at first first Thessalonians chapter one, and we study the first eight verses of first Thessalonians chapter one, you'll see a four step process that Paul used every time he went somewhere. Okay? And these, I call them the four components of an effective ministry. If a church wants to have an effective ministry, it's got to implement these four steps. These are the same four steps that Paul used over and over again. So, what was the first thing Paul would do whenever he went to a new place? First thing he did was evangelism in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? He would go out and he'd been witness to people. But he didn't do it in his own power, he went out in the power of the Holy Spirit and won people to Christ. He then gathered those new believers together and then set the example before them. Literally, through everything he said, everything he did, he set the example before them. That's step two. And then step three, he taught them to imitate what they saw him do, what they saw him say and do. The King James Bible says they became followers of Paul. Well, the word followers is the word we get mimicked from. So literally, they became imitators of Paul. He taught them to imitate him. And then once, and see, once you've achieved that level, you've got to what's called spiritual reproduction. Then the last step was after they started mimicking him and doing everything they saw Paul do, he'd say, now go teach others to do steps one through three. And that becomes what's called spiritual multiplication. Okay. It works at the individual level. It also works at the church level. Okay. As individual believers, if we want to have an effective ministry, remember, what ministry is every believer called into? The ministry of reconciliation, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Every believer is called to be a minister of reconciliation, right? And we know who's the, re- the reconciler, Jesus mm-hmm. Christ, right? We're his ambassadors. So we're to go out and win people to Christ, set the example before them, then get them to imitate us, and then teach them to go do repeat steps one through three. It's called spiritual reproduction that results in spiritual multiplication. It's done at the, I think it it works at the individual level as well as at the church level, okay? Because ultimately, when you study the book of Acts, how did the New Testament church implement the Great Commission? Through church planting, okay? That's the bottom line. The way the New Testament church says we're going to take this command from Christ this command to go make disciples. We're going to do that through church planting. We're going to go to a new place, and we're going to do evangelism in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to gather those new believers together. We're going to set the example before them. Then we're going to get them to imitate us, okay? And then we're going to have them go and teach others to do the same thing. And we're going to grow churches, okay? Now, each one of those churches is then responsible for doing what? Those five functions we talked about before. So now you've got a church and a community that can show the love of Christ to that community by doing ministry, by doing worship, by doing evangelism, by doing the five functions of the church. But how do we grow the kingdom of Christ? We grow the kingdom of Christ through church planting. So the Great Commission, in my humble opinion, is, is our command from Christ to grow his church. And the method that we have in the Bible of how to do that is through church planting. And I think we've gotten away from it.
0: Here's 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 why. I think that a lot of our churches are, we have a lot of attendees. And this is a, something that is so common in our area. We've reiterated this multiple times on the podcast where you have people feel like they get saved, they've got their golden ticket, And they're good but christ has called us to so much more the work of the church should be central to our lives once we become followers of christ you know what our job's important but the work of the church should be more important our families are important but the work of the church should have just as much importance as our families because we have become followers of Christ we've been saved by grace and there's 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 work to be done well that's just about going to do it for today's episode we want to thank Mike Nelson for coming in and sharing his views on ministry versus missions be sure to tune in for episode 12 as we bring brother Mike back in to discuss the kingdom mission. This has been truth revival episode 10 with Mike Nelson ministry versus missions. I'm Roman Hamilton. We're out of here.